Okay, so let's um, <clears throat> let's take our Bibles and uh, I ask you to turn to First uh, John three four, uh, which is near the back of your Bible, and uh, we have been uh, talking about the doctrine of man. Yes, sir. Yes. What? No, it's fine. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Did you hear that, Barbara? Edward Welch. Is that the right name? On the prayer list. been talking about uh, the doctrine of man, right? So we've been talking about how, uh, what the Bible teaches us about who we are, how we were created in the image and likeness of God in the beginning, how Adam and Eve fell uh, when they sinned against God and the consequences of that, which we call original sin for all the rest of us, that nobody's born innocent, right? We are born in sin, as David said in Psalm 51. Um, and uh, so uh, building on that, we're going to talk uh, tonight about the doctrine of sin. So what does the Bible teach about sin? Obviously, we can't cover all of that in one night, but um, I want to give a sort of an overview um, because it's not something that we do very often if you think about it. I mean, we we hear passages that address specific sins and we hear a verse here or there about sin, but as far as looking at the big picture of what the Bible says about sin and sort of putting it all together, that's not something that we do very often. So um, the fancy word for this, I like to give you fancy words every once in a while, is hamartiology, right? So that comes from hamartia is the word for sin in the the Greek New Testament. So this is the study of sin. Um, And maybe the closest thing we get to a definition of sin is here in uh, 1 John 3, verse 4, where it says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So sin is living not only against the law and contrary to the law, but almost as if there is no law. When someone is lawless, it's not that there is not a law, but that they are not governed by it. They do not submit to it. That's what sin is. Sin is rebellion against the law of God. Sin is lawlessness. One theologian uh, defines sin this way. He says, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. So it's not just... uh, doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing, but also uh, having the right or wrong attitude, right, um, is also an issue uh, of sin. So when we talk about sin, there are two major categories. Uh, There's sins of commission and sins of omission, right? Some of you, I'm sure, have heard this distinction before. Sins of commission are things that you do uh, even though you've been told not to do them, right? So the Bible says, thou shalt not 
steal and you steal, that's a sin of commission. You're told not to do it and you did it anyway. James talks about this in James uh, 2, 10 and 11 when he says, uh, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So you don't have to break all the commandments to be a sinner. You just have to break one. You do one thing that you weren't supposed to do. You are guilty of a sin of commission. And James says, uh, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. Because you've broken, to break it in one part is uh, to become accountable for all of it. So that's a sin of commission. A sin of omission is a failure to do something the Bible says we ought to do. right? So when the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, and you don't love them, you don't do anything for them, you are omitting something you ought to be doing. right? So uh, James talks about this also. James 4.17 says, and this is, Um, This is one of those verses that um, can just really hit you right between the eyes, right? James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So if you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, James says, that's a sin. That's a sin of omission. Failure to do something the Bible says we ought to do. Most of the, a lot of times people think of of sin only in terms of uh, commission, only breaking the clear, you know, big ten commandments. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, but sin is actually much broader than that, right? Um, so uh, we sin in both of those kinds of ways. All of us do. We we. Uh, commit sins of commission and also sins of omission where we fail to do what we know we ought to do. Um, Now sin is um, uh, a um, how to describe it? I mean almost like a hydra right? Like a mini headed beast. There are multiple aspects to what sin does and how sin acts. And so um, I wish that you could turn with me to all these passages I'm going to show you, but there are just so many. I uh, don't know that, you, that uh, you probably spend more time turning pages and not be able to catch all the things that uh, I want to cover. So um, uh, I'm just going to share these with you fairly quickly. Uh, some things that sin does. Right, so one of the things that sin does is sin enslaves. We think that sin, when we're, when we're tempted to sin, we think it's going to lead to freedom. But the Bible makes clear it leads to slavery. Jesus said in John 8.34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Uh, Romans 6.6, 6, Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In other words, before we were united to Christ, before we shared in His death and resurrection, before that, we were enslaved to sin, and the reason why we needed to die was so that we could be set free from sin in a new life, right? Be raised to a new life and no longer be enslaved to sin. So sin enslaves people. It doesn't give them freedom. It promises them freedom. 
but it actually enslaves them. Sin also defiles. Psalm 51, 2, David prays uh, in the wake of his sin with Bathsheba. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. My sin has defiled me. I am unclean, and I'm asking God that you would wash me and make me clean. First uh, John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's one of the things that Jesus accomplished in his death, was he cleanses us from sin because sin defiles us. Sin also deceives us. Sin deceives us. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So one of the reasons why we need daily fellowship and daily exhortation from other Christians, encouragement to uh, continue in the way, to trust the Lord, to lean on His promises, to not give in to temptation, all those things, is because uh, sin is always present, ready to lie to us, ready to deceive us, ready to trick us, uh, to lead us down the wrong path, and we need people coming alongside of us all the time saying, no, no, remember we're going this way. Don't go that way. Don't listen to that voice. Don't listen to that temptation. Don't, don't put yourself in that scenario. Don't believe those lies. That is sin trying to trick you, trying to deceive you. This is the truth. Walk in this way. So we have to be on our guard against sin, right? because it will deceive us. Sin offers pleasure. But it's pleasure that is fleeting. Hebrews 11. um, This is, I think, verse 24 and 25, or 25 and 26 maybe. It says, uh, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So uh, Moses had... Many of the pleasures that sin uh, affords at his fingertips in Pharaoh's palace, no doubt, right? No doubt. He had plenty of money and plenty of access to all the ways he wanted to get into trouble. Uh, But he chose rather to identify with the Hebrew people, to suffer with them, rather than for a little while enjoy the pleasures that sin offers because he knew there was a greater, more lasting reward if he trusted the Lord and identified with him and with his people. So sin does offer pleasure, right? And if we uh, pretend like it doesn't, then the people that we're trying to persuade will just think we're naive fools who don't know what we're talking about. You've got to acknowledge that sin does offer pleasure. Uh, it just doesn't last. And it's usually pleasure with uh, a hook in it, right? It usually hurts you more than it pleases you in the end. Um, Sin also clings to us. It does not let go easily. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Right, just sort of on a, on a lighter, more practical uh, level, we know how hard it is to develop 
good habits and how, um, no, sorry, how hard, how easy it is to develop bad habits and how hard it is to shake them, right? You fall into a bad habit really easily. Uh, you know, if, let's say every day you wake up and you spend an hour on your phone, you know, you don't wake up and read the Bible or pray or anything within the first hour. You don't talk to anybody. You're on your phone for an hour in the morning. That's really easy to do if you don't have anywhere you got to be. Most of us would probably say that's not a really great habit. I'm not really proud of that if that's what you do. Uh, but it's really easy to do. If you fall into that habit and you try to shake it, I'm not going to look at my phone at all for the first hour that I'm awake. That's a lot harder to do, right? Um, and that's just habits. I'm not even, that's not necessarily sin or not sin. That's just, you know, good or bad practices. Um, sin is even worse, right? When you get tangled up in a particular sin, it's really hard to get loose. You can't just say, okay, I'm done with that, and then shake it, and it goes away. That usually does not work that way, right? Sin clings to us very closely. It is difficult for us to get loose from it. Right? So um, all those things and more, I'm sure there are more things we could list, um, are true about sin, right? Sin is out to deceive us, to ensnare us. It doesn't want to let us go. It enslaves us. It defiles us. It uh, promises pleasure that it can only deliver on for a brief time. Um, and uh, so this is obviously something that we want to keep ourselves free from, right? We're supposed to pray, asking the Lord to deliver us from temptation because we don't want to wind up uh, enslaved and ensnared in sin. Um, So what should we do about sin? When we become aware of our sin, we become convicted, we know, okay, we realize we're doing something that's sinful or we're failing to do something that we ought to be doing, How does the Bible teach us to respond? Well, first of all, it's important to say you can't really do anything about your sin until you've gone to Jesus with it, right? So if you're not a Christian, you've not been set free from sin, you can't do much of anything about your sin. I mean, you can alter your habits, but you can't, you can't cut yourself loose from the slavery that you're in. That's why the Bible says uh, that Jesus bore our sin for us. He took it for us, died so that we could die, uh, died so that we could be forgiven. Uh, Isaiah 53.12 says he bore the sin of many. First um, uh, Peter 2.24 says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You can't die to sin and live to righteousness until you have come to Jesus who bore your sin in your place on the tree. Died for it. Died for you. Right? Um, but once you have come to God, come to Christ, and you've uh, turned from sin to Him, um, then uh, the story is different. right? So how, both at that initial turning and then afterward, how do we respond to sin? Well, first of all, the Bible says we're supposed to repent of it. You turn away from it. As long as you are still walking in the same direction as sin wants you to walk, you, you can't go anywhere. right? We're supposed to repent. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So those who are sinners, which is all of us, 
Jesus says the reason he came was to call us to repent, to call us to turn from sin. Uh, And he still does this through the scriptures, through uh, Bible teaching and preaching, through Christian friends and radio and whatnot. Somebody says something, somebody hears something, and you realize, I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Um, I'm... I've been confronted. I feel convicted. How? Sh- what should I do? Your first response is to turn away from that, to set your face against that. Okay, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live that way anymore uh, because he's called us to repent. And then we also need to confess that sin to God. Uh, uh, Psalm 32, 3 through 5, I love this passage, describes um, the difference between what happens when um, we do confess our sin and when we don't confess our sin. So this is David again uh, in Psalm 32. And when he didn't confess his sin, this is what happened. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So when I, would, when I didn't confess my sin to you, when I wouldn't acknowledge it, I was miserable. I was suffering physically. You were wearing me out. But then he says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So, in order to receive God's forgiveness, you have to ask for it, right? You have to acknowledge that you need it. And when you won't acknowledge that you need it, you're going to be miserable. But when you acknowledge that you need it, and you uh, are honest with God about your sin, you confess it to Him, uh, then there's forgiveness, right? 1 John 1, nine says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, so when we confess our sin, we don't have to wonder what God's going to do. Eh, 50-50, you know, maybe I'll forgive you, maybe I won't. No, every time. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He also says that we should confess our sins to one another. In James 5.16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, uh, I would say be wise about who you confess your sin to and what sins you confess to which people. It's good to, to... be honest with other people in your life about your sin and confess your sin, but uh, I don't think that means do it indiscriminately. Just tell everybody everything you've ever done. You know, that's probably not the best way to go about that. But you do need to tell somebody, right? You do need to talk to somebody about it. Confess your sins to one another. Um, and then uh, the Bible also says we should kill sin. Um, Romans 8.13 Paul says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, by the Spirit, we are to be killing sin in our life. So we can't be passive about this thing. right? You can't just say, well, I prayed about it once, and... I'm hoping it's going to go away. Oh, you're probably going to have to do more than that, right? You're going to have to attack it. 
you're going to have to slay it. You're going to have to put it to death somehow. Um, and uh, there's a famous quote uh, from a guy named John Owen who um, is really, really hard to read. But in this instance, he was very clear and spot on. Here's what he said. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If you are not um, actively resisting sin, putting sin to death, then uh, it will have the upper hand. I was um, I was reading a book uh, recently where a guy was is talking about he's this is using sanctified imagination okay and he was saying um, Satan is like a brilliant uh, military general he's a superb tactician he has studied you. He has paid attention. He's watched humanity for thousands of years. He, he knows all about your life, your weaknesses, your trauma, your all the kinds of things. And he has daily meetings with you know, his demons talking about how to... And again, this is not, not a Bible verse that says he meets with his demons daily. You know, this is like screw tape letters, right? He's, you're imagining how Satan works against us. So he's, he's, you know, he is... Um, a very diligent student uh, of you and your weaknesses and the temptations that work for you and the, the, the ways that he can trip you up. And so he says, um, you know, that's what's going on on one side of the battle. And so on the other side, a dad can't hand a smartphone to his 15-year-old son and say, hey, be careful. Guess who's going to lose that battle? You're not hardly even putting up a fight, right? There's way too many ways to get into trouble that way. And you're not, there's no preparation, no strategy, no diligent effort to resist that temptation. Sin is, like uh, God said to Cain, sin is crouching out the door. Its desire is for you. It wants to pounce on you and destroy you. Uh, and if you don't have some kind of weapon ready to help you resist it, namely the sword of the Spirit, that's how Jesus resented, resisted temptation in the wilderness. When Satan tried to tempt him, he quoted Scripture. When Satan quoted Scripture at him that he'd twisted and taken out of context, Jesus corrected him, quoted more Scripture back at him. But if you're not ready to uh, make war against it with the sword of the Spirit, uh, it's going to win. Right, we have to fight. And the last thing, building on that about needing to kill sin, um, is that Jesus says we must make war against sin. Mark nine, forty-three to forty-eight. He says, "If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off." It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, obviously, his point there is not that you should actually cut off your hand or gouge out your eye, because uh, guess what? You can gouge out your eyes and still have a lust problem. You can cut off your hands and still have, you know, a... Stealing problem. You, 
the, the sin problem is not in your members, it's in your heart, right? Jesus uses this extreme language to say, do whatever it takes to fight against sin. Whatever you have to sacrifice to get rid of sin, it is worth it. Right? If you can't have a smartphone or a computer and not sin, then you don't need to have a smartphone or a computer. You say, well, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. You can cut off your hand. You can gouge out your eye. You can get rid of your phone. Or you can get rid of your computer. You do what you have to do. Right? You do whatever it takes because it's just not worth it. The consequences of unrepentant sin, the consequences of giving in to sin and letting sin win um, are just not worth it. So Jesus says, do whatever it takes to resist sin. But you can only do that if you're fighting from a place, a position of forgiveness, right? A position of just, if you already trusted Christ, your sins have been canceled, your sins have been, sins have been forgiven, only from that position of victory can you fight and make any headway against sin. Only by the power of the Spirit, right? Who, who only dwells in those who belong to Jesus. Only by the power of the Spirit can you put sin to death in your life. So, um, anyway, any thoughts, questions?